Hey everybody, Pastor Joe here with you this morning. Man, what a what a what a great message I am looking forward to sharing with you. It's been a full week. Uh, Jesus and I for the last two weeks have been thinking about this particular message and I just really feel like the Lord said, this is what I want you to say as a result of uh, being in the book of Esther. So welcome. This is our second um, session in the book, our second sermon uh, in this series that we're doing in the book of Esther. Um, it's a great story at the end of the day. What really matters is what is God saying to you? Uh, as we do that. We're out here at uh, Canaan Acres and I'm really excited about, you know, the locations that we've been able to pick and choose from to do this, but I'm really, really, really missing being in the building with you and being together and the shake, the shaking hands and the hugs and the Jolly Ranchers and the coffee. But listen, that's coming. That's coming. Until then, let's just hang in there. Let's persevere. Let's stay at it. But let's remember something. None of this, none of this blew by God. He was aware of all of it coming. If it is not his specific will, it is his permissive will. And in either case, he is allowing us to be a part of the kingdom of God that is making the most out of it. And so I keep telling myself, stop whining. And I'm not talking to you now, I'm still talking to me, all right? We're going to be okay. Who can we help? And so this morning, let's look at the book of Esther. And I'm actually going to go back to the ninth chapter. And I want to share something with you, again, just because God has said this. And I'm actually going to stay pretty tight to my notes. Now, I'm just going to tell you, those of you that know me, if I kick this chair over, knock that microphone over, and Michael has to say, wait, 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 you know, I can get excited about this message. And I just got to I gotta stay in my seat and be in my seatbelt, okay? And so that's what's going to be important. But, but go with me to the ninth chapter of the book of Esther. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I got my little ribbon. That's what these ribbons are for in your Bible. We put them in there so that we can get to our pages right away. And I'm going to read to you from the ninth chapter. So let me get everything organized here so that I can read it to you. I am in the ninth chapter of the book of Esther, and I'm going to start at verse 20, and I'm going to read verses 20, 21, and 22. And, and what I'm going to read to you is, this is the result of the whole of the story. So I'm reading you the end of the message at the beginning of the message, then I'm gonna share with you the message, then we're gonna look at the end, uh, this passage again at the end of the message. Okay, so let me just share it with you so we can get in and have a word of prayer. Mordecai, it, we're at the end of the book, It'll all make sense in a minute. Mordecai recorded all of these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of the king of Xerxes, near and far, to have them, and this is what he told them to do, celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. And he wrote to them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, of giving uh, presents of food to one another and giving gifts to the poor. And so that's what we're gonna end up looking at today as we go through that this morning with you guys, okay? So as you're sitting there, let's just have a word of prayer and let's just ask God to begin to break down, not just the message for our hearts, but let's ask God to break down our hearts for the message, okay? So just pray with me if you would. Father, we just wanna bow our heads before you. We wanna come and humble ourselves. And we wanna say, Lord, what do you have to say to us today? God, we're stressed out, we're overwhelmed, we're not working, we're working and we're the only ones working. 
the lines are too long, the lines aren't long enough, the supply is there, the supply's not enough. God, we're coming to you saying, you are the one that provides for us. You are our hope. God, we don't put our trust in chariots, we don't put our trust in bows, in swords, in arrows. We don't put our trust in horses. We put our trust in you, the Lord, our God. And so we thank you for that. Today, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and we say, make this, make this message just quicken our hearts. Make it real to us, God, because we want to hold onto the hem of your garment. We want to grab a hold of your, arm, of your hand. We want to crawl up into your lap and we want to feel your breath and your pulse, God, as we just reside with you and as you abide with us. And so we thank you for that. We release this on our listeners today and ask you to come in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so today we're talking about Esther. We're talking about Esther when, feel, when things feel like they're getting worse instead of better. When we're in that spot, when it's just like, oh no, man, what, what's up, God? So we're looking at Esther. It's the book of Esther. Last week, we looked at the, the small town girl and the big town, uh, town circumstance or situation. And today we're kind of looking at this, you know, um, this young lady again from the small tribe of Benjamin, as, as uh, Paul calls it. She's orphaned. Let me just give you the background real quick. Raised by her cousin Mordecai. They live in the citadel of Susa, the city of, so to speak. That's the north end of the Persian Gulf, um, off to the north and the east a little bit. And if you go to, um, um, what is it uh, in Kuwait? If you go to um, Basra, and if you on the map just kind of go northeast, you'll come to a, a, a town or a, a city called Sush, um, but it's in Iran. And, and that's where this has kind of taken place, in that general area. And so this is going to be really cool. Look at this story. Okay, now the major players of this whole story are Xerxes. He's kind of the king of the known world, that, that whole Mediterranean theater at that point. Vashti, who is his sitting queen when the book opens, but quickly banished from the court forever. And most theolo uh, theologians understand her to be, um, um, well, killed. Um, and then we've got Mordecai, who is a Jewish man, uh, very interested in the political situation, but kind of outside of the court at the time. Then we've got Esther, a young orphaned Jewess, who is Mordecai's cousin, who is young enough that he adopts her and raises her as his own, okay? And then we have Haman, character we really haven't talked a lot about yet, but we've got Haman, a political up-and-comer, ridiculously wealthy, and I'll show it to you in the story today. I mean, filthy, filthy, filthy filthy rich, and, and it plays out. And then we have the Jewish people that are in, in exile wondering, where's God? Does he care about them? Do they ever get um, to go back home to, to Jerusalem and to Israel? Do they get to do that? And so now what's going to happen? We're going to speed read through. I'm not going to really read you the whole story, but I am going to give you what I call the gist of the story so that we can get to the point that God has for you today. Are you ready? Stay with me. If you need to go back and watch this again, it'll be all right, but stay with me. The king demands, okay, we're still dealing with Vashti, King Xerxes. The king demands that the queen comes out to his party of men that have been drinking for the last seven days. And by drinking, I mean that the king is a ridiculously generous man. He opened up his wine cellar to anyone in the whole city of Susa in his whole kingdom that wants to come and drink whatever and however much they wanted. And it's just a party. Now, just for the record, the party's been going on for six 
months, 180 days, and we've come to the place, it's the very end where the king wants to have one week of just flat out, we're going to feast and have a time of it. Um, and so that's where we are. Okay, the scripture will say on the seventh day, there's a seven day period, on the seventh day when the king was in high spirits from wine. So now you know everybody's situation and there's no reason not to believe that everybody's trying to suck up to the king and they want to be a part of his party and so they want to be able to brag about this and so this, this area is full. There's no women there that we're aware of, like nobody's wife is there with them and so they're just doing their thing. They're just living the party. And so this is what's going on. The party has become a come and go event for six months and we're at the end it all big part. So here we go. Xerxes sends seven eunuchs out, and this is what the passage will say, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles for she is lovely to look at. Now, I, I don't want to, I want to be careful here. You got kids in the room there, but it is largely understood theologically that he asked in this, this room of nothing but men who are drunk out of their gourd that she be brought wearing nothing but her crown. And that's why what happens it happens. It's like, this does not sound like a couple that has the best marriage that we could um, want to emulate at all. It's not even a good marriage in my um, thought. And as a matter of fact, it's got me in thinking that, yeah, maybe we need to do a marriage series just because, you know, marriages are important. But the king sends the seven guys. They say, the, uh, the king wants you to come wearing just your crown. Queen Vashti says, no, unequivocally, no, and we're off. She refused and initially she was banished eternally from the court for disobeying the king. Next, a year later, a search is made from the lands for a beautiful virgin to be presented to the king in search of a new queen. All right, they brought a young Jewish lady named Esther, Hadassah, and she won the king's eye and he said, put a crown on that. Okay, right there, that could be the end of the story. We're good, that's the story of Esther. But it's not. There's a subplot. There's a second plot that begins to unfold as Esther is already the queen. Right after Esther is made queen, her cousin Mordecai uncovered an assassination plot that saves King Xerxes' life. He got nothing for it. He didn't seem to care. Seems that there is also a, a man of political uh, aspirations kissing up the King Xerxes. His name is Haman. Remember his name. The king chooses to exalt Haman to his right hand for some reason. So he's seated right next to the throne. Whenever Haman comes and goes, the people are supposed to bow down. Haman starts reading his own press, starts believing his own mail, and suddenly um, there's a Jew at the gate that refuses to bow down. Yep, it's our guy, Mordecai. It's the cousin, it's the father to Queen Esther. Haman tells the king the Jews are evil. He offers the king uh, Xerxes 375 tons of silver if he can not only kill Mordecai, but wipe the Jews from the face of the earth. Just for the record, that would be 96 million dollars at eight dollars an ounce. So that's what Haman is doing. He is so angry that Mordecai will not fall down because he's a Jew that he wants to wipe out the whole Jewish nation. So this is what happens. He goes to the king. He says, I'll give you 96 million. The king says, keep your money, kill the people, protect the kingdom, which is not in any danger, by the way. All right. This kind of edict that the king sends out that all the Jews are to be wiped out cannot be rescinded even by the king, all right? Xerxes has no idea that Esther is a Jew. 
as we're doing this, um, as we're doing that, and neither does Haman. The date is set, they cast the lot, that's the pure, or the poor, okay? They cast the, the lot, and they say, 11 months from now, we're gonna wipe out all the Jews on the face of the earth. Kill the Jews and plunder their lives. Mordecai has to put the squeeze on Esther to save her people at her own peril. She might die for entering the throne room of the king, unrequested, Esther still goes in. The king offers her anything up to half her kingdom. What do you want, Esther? What can I do for you today? She walks in and, say, and says, you know, can I talk to you? And he says, what can I do for you up to half my kingdom? She has Haman and Xerxes come for dinner. That's what she wants. She says, you guys come for dinner and I'll tell you what I want. Um, inviting them the next day for supper again. They get there for supper that night. She says, come again tomorrow. Haman is so excited. Remember him? He hates Jews. He is so excited that he gets to come to um, Esther's house for dinner again, and he's the only one. He goes marching home to tell his wife, but there's Mordecai. He won't bow down. Raging anger. Haman's wife says, put up a 75-foot pole and impale um, Mordecai on it from his bottom to his top. Put him up there for everybody to see. And that's what's going on. King Xerxes, by the way, that night was having a bad night and couldn't sleep. And so he starts reading his own mail. In his own mails, it says that a guy named Mordecai saved his life and King Xerxes never did a thing for it. So King Xerxes wakes up the next morning and he wants to ask somebody what should happen. Haman happens to be walking through the room and he's walking as he's walking through the room, he says, Haman, come in here. What should happen to a man that the king wants to exalt an honor? Honor because he did something for him. Haman, thinking that it's Haman because he's all about Haman, says, I'll tell you what you should do for him and tells the king that he should do everything that Haman would like the king to do for him. And so the king says, yes, that's what we should do. You, Haman, go out, get that guy Mordecai, uh-oh, and do that for him. Raging, raging anger at this point. He is livid, but he has to lead the horse with the guy that won't bow down, sitting on it in the king's clothes, and that's where we are. That night, however, he gets to go to Esther's house. He comes into the party, they're gonna have a dinner. King Xerxes, it's Mordecai, excuse me, it's Haman, and it's Esther. King finally says, Esther, listen, two parties, what do you want from me? And she says, I need you to save my people. We're Jews, I'm a Jew. And King Xerxes says, I'm going to save your people. From who? And she says, that man, Haman, he's trying to kill the Jews. And if he kills the Jews, he's going to kill me. I can understand if you would make slaves out of him, but he doesn't want to make slaves out of him. He wants to kill them. And if he kills them and obeys the edict, he has to kill me. Uh-oh. Haman, excuse me, King Xerxes figures Haman has played him. Of course, Haman didn't know Esther was a Jew and neither did Xerxes. Xerxes gets up, stomps out, runs out into his garden and walks in circles. He's fuming, he's been played, he's gonna look the fool. What does he do? In the meantime, in the house, uh, Haman goes over and sits, uh-oh, on the couch next to Esther and begins to beg for her life. Puts his hand on her just as the king walks in and what does it look like? It looks like he's putting his hand on her and the king goes ballistic and immediately takes Haman out and has him impaled on that 75-foot pole that Haman himself put up to kill the man Mordecai who raised Esther, who was queen to Xerxes. It all came to naught. What happens is the king has to issue, issue a new edict. What's the new edict say? He can't issue the other one. In 11 months, 10 and a half months, the Jews are gonna be uh, uh, wiped out. 
it can happen. They're not allowed to defend themselves. They're not allowed to have weapons. So the king gets an idea. He sends out a brand new edict that says, you may defend yourself. You may get swords and weapons and band together and be an army and fight back. And what happens is the Jews wipe out the people that come after them, but they don't plunder their families. But the Jews are saved. And then the thing that happens next is, Mordecai becomes prime minister to Xerxes. Two-day party is assigned national holiday status. Purim is the name of the party, and it comes from the, the lot that was cast. Pur means lot. The lot was cast that on the 11th month, this in 11 months, not the 11th month, in 11 months, this is what's going to happen. And as a result of that, the Jews are going to be gone. Instead, the Jews saw things flip-flopped, and now they're having a party. And so we're back to the story, I mean, excuse me, the scripture that I read for you at the beginning in the opening. Let me read it for you again. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow, I love this part, I want to talk to you about this, Sorrow turned to joy, mourning turned to a day of celebration. He said to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And today it is still celebrated. And it is celebrated by reading the book of Esther on the 14th, reading the book of Esther on the 15th, which um, shares the whole story with their families and everything. It's, they give money to gifts uh, and gifts to at least two people, two different people that weekend. They have to give money gifts. They uh, send gifts of food to at least one person. And, and as Mordecai said, you have to have a Purim feast. You have to. Okay, which includes wine, other intoxicating beverages, and at sometimes even dressing up in costumes. What a party. Is that not incredible? What a story of Esther. And so I'm sitting out here in the sun, and it may not be sunny right now where we are watching this, but I'm sitting in the sun and I'm thinking, so what? What a great story. It could have been a, you know, a movie that we watched and it was good, except that God wants to say something to you and I. God wants to talk to us. Someone once said, well, well, let me read this first. Have you ever been so scared that you couldn't sleep, that you ended up staying up all night? Has somebody ever done something that angered you so much in your life? You were wounded so bad that you said, God, I'm never going to get this root of bitterness out. Or have they scared you so much that you were terrified that you would ever see them again? Have you ever been in that situation? Because those are the kind of things that we see unfolding in the book of Esther. But look what God said in Deuteronomy to Moses. It is mine to avenge. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, and I love this, I will repay in due time, their foot will slip. I will repay, says God, in due time, their foot's going to slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Now listen, I am not, looking for a time when I can celebrate the demise of my enemy. I honestly think that that is awful, okay? And when I see people posting political things online and somebody posts, somebody should shoot this guy, I'm telling you right now, that's the problem. That is, that is uncalled for at all. But have you ever been in the position where you, that, you were that scared? And I want you to know that God is saying, look, I'm gonna avenge you, take a deep breath. I'm gonna fight for you, it's gonna be okay. 
Somebody once said that God didn't come down here to take sides. He came down here to take over. And when I first heard that, I thought, yeah, that's the way it is. It's not true. It really isn't true. When I was thinking about that, it's like the truth is that our God didn't come down here to take over. He came down here and it was a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission, and we've got to keep that in mind. It's always been a rescue mission. It's always going to be a rescue mission. Look at what Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews. He said, but those sacrifices, the, the sacrificial system, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away uh, sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, Paul says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you didn't desire. That was not the original plan. We were supposed to live and walk with God in the garden. Nor, Paul goes on to say, were you pleased with those sacrifices, although they were offered in accordance with your law, God. And then he said, that Jesus says, here am I, I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first law, and we are now part of a new covenant, and that's what's going on. Boom, rescue mission. So, from Mordecai's perspective, because he's the one that's been orchestrating this thing through the book of Esther, and that's what we need to see, okay? From his perspective, what do I want to share with you that I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God said? I, I need just, you can just only write down these three things, okay? But I need you to get a hold of this. God wants to turn your destruction into your deliverance, okay? They're putting up gallows for you, 75 feet high. They're planning on wiping you out. They're going to destroy you, whoever they are. Your, your finances have got their fingers around your neck and they're choking you. You've got an, an addiction that's dragging you under the creek and you feel like you're going to die. You're scared of the economy and what's going on around you. And I'm telling you right now, enemy, and I'm not talking political people. I'm, not, I'm talking about the devil himself from hell. I'm saying the enemy is planning your destruction and God is going to turn it into your deliverance. The world is coming against you, but you need to remember this. God has never been late for a wedding, ever. He has always been on time. He's made you sweat. But because he created time and he created the circumstance, he knows when he's coming. You can trust him. Your destruction that you're looking at is not going to be your destruction at all. It's going to end up being your deliverance. Let's take a step back. And like we say when we're in the building, take a deep breath and let's begin to ask God how it is that he wants us to embrace our deliverance because that's what's really going on. Mordecai didn't understand that all behind the scenes God was doing something. They were in, they were in exile. And he didn't realize that God had already planned um, Esther to be his daughter. He'd already planned Esther to be the queen. He'd already planned for Haman to, to make a gallow. God already sees the enemy planning your destruction and he is twisting it into your deliverance. And I need you to get a hold of that. Say this with me out loud. God wants to turn my destruction into my deliverance. Can, can you choose to believe that today, as scary as it might be? Can you just say that with me? God wants to turn my destruction into my deliverance. That's what Mordecai came to understand. Walked past a 75-foot gallows, and he wasn't the one hanging on it. The second thing that I want to share with you is this. God wants to turn your fear into your festival. What? Yeah. Think about it for a second. 
what Haman had planned for the destruction of the Jews, what people had come to understand because letters had gone out to everybody, people were whispering about it. Um, you know, Haman had a copy that he could give to somebody. Excuse me, Mordecai had a copy that he could give to somebody. And so we understand that it creates fear. And we're at a time in our lives right now where there's a lot of people living in fear. Even there's a lot of people living in fear that are saying, I'm not living in fear. <laughs> Listen, take a deep breath and just be honest. It's like saying, I don't need help. We all need help. And it is certainly okay to say, yes, I am living in fear. That is the way I'm projecting myself. Just understand this. God wants to turn that fear into a festival. Okay, we're all like, we can't come to church. But listen to me. I'm sitting out here looking at all this green grass, and I'm saying when we do come together, we're going to have a festival. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to have a sack race. We're going to hug each other. We're going to hold hands and run in circles like a mayday, and, and we're going to do it for, I don't know, months maybe. Who knows? Till we don't want to see each other again. But God is saying, I've got a festival coming. I've got a celebration coming. I've got a homecoming coming. It's going to come together. Watch what happens. It has been a long night of the soul for some of you. I'm talking about things like broken marriages. I'm talking about things like addictions. I'm talking about things like, does God even care about me? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the present circumstance. I'm talking about your present circumstance. And God loves you. And he's never stopped working for you. And he wants to take that fear that you're living in and he wants to turn it into a festival and he wants you to celebrate and he wants you to party and he wants you to invite your friends and he wants you to understand how much he cares about you. Man, as I'm looking at this, I I'm thinking, you know, what about you and anything in your life have you ever turned into a festival? At what point have you ever said, we need to mark this for the rest of our lives as a festival? I'm not talking about Christmas and Easter. You didn't mark those. God did. I'm talking about when God did something in your life that you needed your family to remember for the rest of eternity or until Jesus comes back. Check this out. A festival is for telling everyone what God has done. God did this. A festival is to remind the people that come after you what God has done for you and through you. God did this. A festival means celebrating the faithfulness of God. A festival says, although we are faithless, God is faithful. We have a, a festival to prove it. So say it with me. God wants to turn my fear into a festival. Can I get you to believe that one? God wants to turn my destruction into deliverance. God wants to turn my fear into a festival where I proclaim his name. And then the last thing that I want to share with you, God wants to turn your humility into your seat of honor. Mordecai was willing to run back and forth outside the gates. He didn't have to come crashing in. He didn't need, when he saved King Xerxes' life, he didn't say, hey, yo, you owe me. You owe me. I need a vacation over on the, the, the lake. I need uh, a new horse. I need clothes. I need food. I need to be recognized. He didn't care. He just was trying to save the king. He was humble about it. Esther understood her humility, and she had to be humble about it. She couldn't just walk into the king's throne room. She recognized in her humility that walking in there, if he didn't point that scepter at her and say, come over here, th the next thing that happens is her head comes off and we're on the search for a new Esther. Her position of humility granted her a throne of honor because Mordecai ends up the prime minister, kind of like Joseph, if you're familiar with the story, in Egypt. He comes in a slave and he, he leaves the earth 
the number two guy in all of Egypt. I need you to grab a hold of that. Let me read a scripture for you to begin, well, actually to wrap this thing up. I lift my eyes, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. It says, uh, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So as you think about God turning your humility into honor, listen to me, he's not sleeping. He's not ignoring you. Think about this. He has not looked away from you. He hasn't done that. He's in the background working so hard. He's working for you. Last thing I want to do with you today, say this with me. God is turning my humility into a seat of honor. God is turning my humility into a seat of honor. He's turning my destruction into deliverance. What about that? He's turning my fear into a festival that's coming. And he's turning my humility into honor. Don't race ahead of him. What about you today? Can you admit what's going on in your life to yourself? We're not, we're not there with you, but can you do that? Listen, before I close in prayer, I want to tell you something. This message is for you. And God said to give you those three things, and I did it as creatively as I could. But at the end of the day, smart people get help. If you are struggling mentally, if you are struggling emotionally, goodness sakes, if you are struggling spiritual and you're outside the kingdom of God, go to vineyardrichmond.com. Down in the lower right-hand corner, there's a green button that says chat. Click on it. There is a live person at the other end of that chat box that will interact with you and pray for you while you're there. Let them, let them type out that prayer to you. You don't have to tell them who you are. You don't have to tell them what you're going through or you can tell them as much as you want to. We love you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe the things that I have just shared with you. So much so that we've put all of this energy and whatnot into bringing you this message today. Hey, thanks for being with us. Before we get up from our couches and our chairs and, you know, chase our little children around the house again and say, shut down, can I just pray with you? Can I just do that before we go? Father God who is in heaven, I want to thank you and praise you for this message for me. I want to thank you and praise you that these things are short-lived. I want to thank you and praise you that this life that we're living right now is, is for a short span, but it's, it's real to us right now. It's big to us. It's important to us. And because of that, you care. God, I pray that you would show us the things that you've shown Mordecai. I pray that you would take us to the places you took Esther. And I pray that you would forgive us the things of Haman in our own life that we need to let go of. God, don't let us be angry. Don't let us be bitter. Let us turn that over to you at the foot of the cross. Excuse me, Lord. And let us walk in what you have prepared for us because you are ahead of us, working in our future because that's where you are, as much as you are here today and still in our past. We love you, Jesus. We love these people. And we just ask and pray that you glorify yourself in the midst of it all. Amen, God, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. Remember vineyardrichmond.com, the chat button. But more than that, God bless you. 
please, 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 go in peace. <laughs>